0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Be the Gospel with Anthony Tijerina. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. We just uh, was interceding for somebody and I lost track of time. Okay. That happens. I've done that. I usually have a very hard time keeping track of time. So, <laughs> we're going to continue our walk with James tonight. Yes, yes. So we left off at the end of chapter 2 last time, and so we're going to be picking up again here in James chapter 3. And so just to go back just a little bit into the very end of James chapter 2, starting verse 14, it says, What good is it, brothers, if someone says that he has trust, right, it says faith, but we know faith means trust, but does not have works, how can that trust save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, trust by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we're pointing out again, basically what it's saying is that you can say you trust, but unless you actually have the, the evidence, the proof, Showing that you trust, then you saying that you trust something is in vain. Um, it serves you no purpose. Uh, just like I can say, I, I trust a chair to support my weight when I sit on it, but then I never sit on a chair, right? You would you would doubt whether I actually trusted in the chair to support my weight. So it, it's it's very simple. We overcomplicate it, but this is basically what, what James is bringing forth. It says, but someone will say, You have trust and I have works. Show me your trust apart from your works. I will show you my trust by my works. So he's saying pretty simply, you know, can you separate trust and works? Can you can you show can you separate trust and the evidence that it's um, show, like demonstrating trust, right? It's kind of like what I, I said last time. You say you, you trust someone, but then you never actually give them that trust and responsibility, right? So that makes it a little tough to say, well, do you actually trust me. And, and the example I gave was, if I tell you I'm going to come to your house at a certain time, and I don't show up, and then I tell you I'm going to come at a certain time, I don't show up, and I say I come at a certain time, I don't show up. Next time I tell you I'm going to be there a certain time, more than likely you're not going to believe me, and I'm going to trust what I'm saying to you is actually true. So when we look at this, here James is saying, look, the evidence, the the works, proving, showing that I trust, it's, it's debt. There's there's no benefit to it at all. And so it's important that we're able to show by evidence that we trust in something. For instance, um, looking at one of the attributes of God, God is provider. Didn't need healing, you know, at, at a certain period of my life. I needed finances. I wanted to get married to my wife. You know, and that takes money. (laughs) And so I just told God, you know, I I was going to trust you because he told me to believe for a certain amount of money each week. I was like, God, I'm going to trust you for this. So as soon as I I resolved that within myself, I started thanking him for that amount, right? And in the midst of it, we're buying decorations, we're getting her dressed. And God's coming through in every single instance. And you feel the pressure and the stress and everything of prepping for a wedding. And at the end of that, we we're completely debt-free in our wedding, which is amazing, right? And then, I mean, we had a really nice wedding. And God just said, I'm in. Okay, will you believe me for three times that amount? I was like, three times that amount? God, if I worked all week, all day, every day, and hardly slept, I wouldn't be able to make that amount each week. He said, but you're a God. You can sell one of your cows on the thousand hills, and each week and we're good, you know? Trying to joke around with God like that. I was just like, he's going to trust you. So instead of the pressure and stuff getting to me and trying to get my mind and everything moved away from trusting God, I reinforced it. You know, if I didn't have anything good to say, if I didn't have anything that was in agreement with God's word for my life, I would just cry out to God. I mean, literally. I would yell. I would get in the car. I've been driving. I would just yell out the name of Jesus. And then I would just start thanking him, thanking for him for all the things that he was doing and all the things he had done and just thanking him, thanking him. So basically, several months later, started an internet business, and in a very short time, I was making the first amount I was thanking God for each week. And then the next month, I was making three times the original amount God told me to ask for. And so in it, I I, I showed my trust in God that he was my provider, Right? Most people, they would have that thought and think, oh, it's me. I'm just having some wild fantasy. And they walked away from trusting and believing God. And so in this particular situation, I can say, I can show you my trust in God as provider by this work, by this evidence that I believed him and he came through. Right? And so when you begin to look at it that way, it kind of changes some things because you begin to realize, what do you actually believe? What do you actually trust in? Do you trust in your purity alarm? What do you trust in exactly? And this is what he's drawing attention to. So a lot of people will say that they trust God, right? We covered that in the first chapter. He said, we believe God. He says, well, that's good. Even the demons believe him, believe in him. And when they, you know, at his name, they shudder. So that does not register anything just to say, I believe in God. Okay. It's, it's taking a step further saying, I trust him in every area of my life. He is the Lord of all. And getting back to that. So let's continue. Ah, actually, it's right here in chapter two. <laughs> so verse 18, it says, but someone will say, I will have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works, right? Trust by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown? is it what you want to be shown, you foolish person. The trust apart from works is useless. So, again, he's saying, Look, I can say that I trust, I trust, I trust, but if I don't ever actually place my trust in God and his promises and his word and his nature and his character, then I'm always going to be lacking. I'm always going to be missing, Right? Because you're not actually trusting. You just have a knowledge of God. And we'll get into that in a different time, but let's continue. Because as in the same way, um, sorry, I lost my place. Says was not verse twenty one. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So we go back and you read the story of Abraham in Genesis. He he was raising the knife. He was ready to sacrifice Isaac. He he put action to the trust that God was going to provide his own sacrifice. And lo and behold. An angel stops him and says, "Look, there's a, um, or a messenger from God, should I say? There's a ram caught in a thicket, right? So he, he grabs a, the the ram, and sacrifices the ram right there. And so God provided a substitute. So when we look at this, he was going through it. He was showing that he trusted God completely by putting the son that God had promised to him on the altar and was demonstrating his trust in God that somehow, some way, God is going to provide a sacrifice. Because that's what he told Isaac. See, we think, oh, that's, he lied to Isaac, right, to to get him to go along. Well, I, Isaac, depending on what scholars you, you might look into or follow, he wasn't. A boy, he was either a teenager or a young man in his 20s. I've heard as much as 24 years old. So imagine, he's laying there and letting his dad raise a knife to him. Or even if he was 14 or 15, you're not dumb, okay, when you see no sacrifice and you're going to make a sacrifice. You know something's up. So when you you look at the story that he's saying, he says he was justified by works. He he demonstrated his trust, being fully convinced that God is able to deliver what he promised, right, with with Isaac, the son of promise. So you can go back and you can read that in Romans chapter 4. So let's continue. 22, and you see that trust was active along with his works, and, and trust was completed by his works. Very powerful statements, something we often forget and we try to separate and we think all works are bad. No. There's good works predestined to walk in the good works that Christ Jesus has prepared for you, and that's in Scripture too. That's in the New Testament. right? But you're not doing good works to get salvation or to earn it. That's impossible. Jesus already paid for it. He gives it to you freely. But since you're saved, you can't help but do good works because he's given you a new nature, right? So that kind of squashes that whole argument. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. See, when we see the word believe, remember the root word is the word faith, justice, truth, uh, trust, right? So Abraham trusted God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Right? because when you believe something, you p- you place your trust in it, you you focus on that, and um, you continue in that direction. Because believe you're not you're not believing something else; you're truly believing God. So it says the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now doesn't that doesn't sound familiar. Jesus tells his disciples, "You're no longer." Um, serving but your friends, right? Hmm, parallel, interesting. Verse 24, you see, the person is justified by works and not by trust alone. See, they're coupling together. You can't say, I completely trust God and then run into fear and try to make a way for yourself on your own. Let me say that again. You can't say that you completely trust God and then run into fear or run with fear into trying to do something to make a way on your own. It just doesn't work that way. It never works that way. So when we look at God, he wants you to completely trust him. And it it doesn't make logical sense because it goes against what the world has totally indoctrinated and ingrained into us. That God's going to provide a way. That He's going to. That He's going to provide. That He's going to heal. That He's going to deliver. That He's going to fight your battle for you. That He right. In all these different instances, the thing He's asking for us is trust. He just wants us to trust Him. That's it. Verse twenty-four. You see, the person is justified by works, and not by trust alone. Verse twenty-five. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, which is interesting, right? Because uh, just a side note, there's only one scripture in the entire New Testament that says spirit, soul, and body. Actually, there's only one one verse in the entire Bible that says spirit, soul, and body Me if I'm wrong You can message me But when I look in the King James Version and also other versions You find spirit and soul Has five or six um, Sorry Spirit and body have five or six different verses They're in together And one of the things when you study The Bible is you can't base a doctrine on Off of one verse alone But how many teachings Are out there about spirit, soul, and body so when you actually understand the Jewish understanding of soul, it actually means your life, your lifestyle, the culmination of everything that that makes your life what it is today. Right? Because spirit is, sorry, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say Is It's is because it's basically you have a spirit, right? And you have an earth body. So spirit in an earth body makes a soul. Alive Right And We don't have time To get into it right now But If you break that down Go back Do some word studies You'll see what I'm saying Is is true So the rest of it says So also Trust apart from works Is dead So you need the spirit And the body To be alive And so Also No benefit There's, There's nothing To it Because like I said You need to provide Evidence that you actually trust Okay so now we're caught up to chapter 3 And it seems like he changes gears And remember in the original letter There's no verses There's no chapters You know how many of you wrote a love letter In high school or, or a letter to a friend And put verses and chapters Nobody right The they, translators put them in, in for us It's easy to find scriptures And identify them And, and so forth So let's look at chapter 3 He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with with greater strictness, for we shall all stumble in many ways. And if if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Here he goes from talking about trust in works. And he brings it in, remember, because this is context. He brings it in to how we speak. Jesus said it's not the word, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's not the food that you eat that defiles you. It is the, what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Is by what you say, right, that defiles you. And you'll find that what you truly believe you say. You'll say when no one's around. You'll say um, when you're around your non-Christian friends. You'll say, you know, at certain times where you're when you're being crushed, you're you're being, um, in a, you're going through a trial or something else. What you truly believe actually comes out, and it's scary. It's really scary because I can tell you, I haven't reached perfection yet. Christ Jesus in the times that I've been pinched or between a rock and a hard place, it's like, where do your thoughts go? Do they go towards God? Do they go towards his promises? Do they go towards his word? Do you, do you run to him or are you running into the situation, running into fear? Like, what exactly are you running into? And that's why he says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble he, in what he says, if or anyone does, does not stumble what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to pride, bridle his whole, his whole body. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> Into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We, we guide their whole bodies as well. Like, is Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We can definitely see that in California, right? So the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among your members, staining the whole body, Setting on fire the entire course of life, the word there suke, which would be translated soul, on fire by hell. Verse 7 For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is relentless evil, full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people. Who are made in the likeness of God, verse ten. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Verse eleven. Does, any, does a spring does a spring forth pour forth? Sorry, from the same opening, both fresh and, and salt water. Tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grape vine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he's making a point. And this is what ties in to faith and works that a lot of people overlook because they never actually see how they speak shows exactly where they're at in their trust in God. And that's what he's saying. If anyone does not stumble what he says, he is a perfect man. And he's able to bridle his whole body. think about it. It's by our tongue that we build our own prisons. we build our own realities, we build our own failures. It's by our tongue, right And it ought not be so. We shouldn't be speaking blessing and curses together, right it, it, Salt water and fresh water don't come out of the same faucet, right. So the point that he's making is like, look, if you believe God and trust God, then let that be what comes out of your mouth. If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Don't dwell on it. Don't feed that. Don't give in to that, right? Make every thought come come captive, you know, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. The word of God, the word made flesh. And so this is where he's tying in faith and works with what you know, it's very interesting when I when I really started looking at healing and I and I got real interested in this, I started watching T V on purpose. And I would watch the Hallmark channel and um some of the other channels. Like ESPN sports channels and stuff like that Because they have all these drug commercials Right They're targeting the older crowd For pain, for dementia For this and for that Right And I would watch it And when they would start saying Whoa, if you have this disease And then I would I started training myself And my thoughts and how I spoke And what I believed And reinforcing the word of God in my own heart Is I began speaking to the TV. Yeah, sounds crazy. But I was like, no, you be healed. You behold this disease. You go right now in Jesus' name. Why? Because it has no side effects. The only side effect is, is healthy, blessing, goodness, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So, like, all these things begin speaking to the TV. And every time I would see the commercial, instead of Reinforcing in me, oh, because this is what the world does. It wants you to start thinking, oh, something's wrong with you. Oh, you have this sickness. Oh, and you become a uh, uh, a uh, hypochondriac or a hypochondriac, right? Thinking you have all these sicknesses and everything because of all these commercials you just watched. And So they get you thinking and believing that you have this thing. So I was going against it and saying, no, you be healed and whole. You don't need to settle for that, right? And then you're constantly reinforcing in yourself God's word, his truth. By his stripes, you are healed. God heals all. And just continue going after it. And so my wife caught me doing it one day, and she was like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> what are you saying? You know, the TV can't respond. You know, they're actors, right? I was like, yeah, but they don't know that they're cursing themselves. And so I just speaking life over these people. And so pretty soon after doing that for like a week or two, it really ingrains in you. And I found that I was very quick to action. Whenever I saw someone sick, I didn't hesitate. I didn't hold back. I jumped real quick out to pray for the people because I saw the injustice. I saw what was going on because I was using the TV, which is already there in the world and its systems, and I was very proactive against it. And so that's the thing is when you yield yourself to the spirit of God, he begins to speak in you and through you. So as you feed your spirit, his word, then you begin to say what Jesus said. You begin to do what Jesus did, right, because that becomes your focus. So let's continue. Verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Right, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Just here on thirteen again. By his good conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom, the application of understanding and knowledge. So he's saying to show forth his good conduct is what Jesus said. He said you don't hide your the light under a bushel or under a bush, right? Will be a candle set on a hill. Don't don't. Don't try to hide the good conduct Because then that's false humility You're stepping right into false humility Which is another form of pride You just walk with God Let him speak through you Flow through you And whatever comes, comes That's not your focus Your focus is on Jesus Your focus is on God Your focus is on his word And being obedient to his word Because of your relationship with him Right? Verse 14 But if you have a bitter Jealousy and self-ambition in your heart Do not boast To be false to the truth Here it goes He's, he's pointing out bitter, Bitterness, jealousy And self-ambition so Don't be boasting And be false to the truth Don't lie This is not the wisdom that comes down from above But is earthly Unspiritual Demonic for where jealousy and self ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Why? Because it's pushing self. What do you think the devil did? I will be like the Most High God. He he was placing pride within himself, self ambition to rise above the throne of God, and look where it landed him. So, verse seventeen. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. And gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, think about this. Let's let's make this personal. Let's make this real. Okay. Let's say you got into an argument um with someone over politics. Did you get mad? Did you get upset? Did you try talking over them? What happened Within yourself Right Since there's topics, Right Now was it wisdom from God Or was it wisdom from the earth? Which one was it See Here's the thing is We been taught so much To step into the flesh Then you end up losing the argument Because you're doing it out of the flesh Well there Because who knows? If they're believer or unbeliever, they're possibly more likely to end up in the flesh, too. But it says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle. See, I had a situation happen, and I had a dear friend uh, take me for, before my boss and uh, accuse me of some things. And peace And so basically what happened is they misunderstood um, an entire situation and didn't realize what was actually going on. And so instead of being upset, instead of getting offended, instead of anything else, because it wasn't for self-ambition, it wasn't for bitterness or jealousy or anything else, it was I was sacrificing my personal time to disciple and train others. I was sacrificing Many things To make this happen I said I oh, I just completely You know In this Give me the wisdom To communicate this Effectively to this person And So that's what happened So I was open to reason Full of mercy Because I, I could have Found myself in their position Very easily Right And maybe have Been upset about it Or, or whatever And full, you know, full of mercy and good fruits. Well, what's the good good fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. Not self-seeking. Right? I was actually sacrificing. I was was giving them in many areas of our lives, of my wife and I. So it says impartial and sincere. So I could have said, I got I got could have gotten defensive and just focused on myself, and and so that would have been a point where I would have stepped into the flesh and would would have been trying to argue my point that of being impartial and saying, okay, how did he get here? How did how did this person get to this point where they're misconstruing they're they're, they're misrepresenting everything that's actually happened. And so I started asking them questions. And I found that I asked them questions they weren't able to answer. And so as I basically went back and was able to clarify the questions to them, it eliminated the entire misunderstanding, settled it, and they took care of it. So we can find ourselves... Either walking in wisdom, the wisdom of God, because it says Jesus Christ has been made unto us wisdom, or we can try to, out of self-ambition, try to make our points known, right? And so if if you listen to anything I've just said, if you can read between the lines, you'll find that this has been the most prudent or the most the um, direct reason why so many churches, think about it, somebody's pushing their agenda, their self-ambition, their this or their that, or they got offended, why did they get offended? Did they talk about it or they just run to the side? Right. All these things can be solved by this one thing. Just stepping back and just talking to God, In the situation and and walking with him in peace and gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you want to harvest righteousness? Sow it in peace? It's not complicated. We make it complicated because we allow people to dictate to us our emotions. Think about it. When somebody gets you all riled up, it's because you allowed them to manipulate your emotions. Whether it's news, whether it's a spouse, whether it's children, whatever the case may be, they are showing that they have better command over your emotions than you have of your own. And this is simply what the wisdom that James is bringing out here in chapter 3. But it doesn't stop there. It it builds up to chapter 4, one of the most misused scriptures in church today. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So here he is calling them out. On their self-ambition. On their bitter jealousy. He's calling them out. You desire and and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to be spent on your passions. Verse 4. Qualifies what he's talking about That they ask but they do not receive Right he says you Adulterous people You do not know The friendship with with the world Do you not know that the friendship With the world is enmity with God Therefore whoever wishes To be a friend of the world Makes himself an enemy Of God Or do you suppose it is to No purpose that scripture says He yearns Jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Verse six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, just stopping there covered a lot of ground here, right? In those first six verses. So, when you look at what it, what it is, what causes the fights, what is it exactly? And it's it's our own selves. We're the ones who do it. We allow people to manipulate our most. We allow people to get under our skin, right? And we're we're never satisfied, right? If, If you know somebody who really loves being in the middle of drama, they're always looking for the next drama. And they claim that they're not drama people. If they don't have drama to talk about, they have nothing to talk about. And everybody knows someone. And if you can't think of anybody, it might be you, just saying, right? So when we look at this, he's calling them out and saying, you're not receiving because you're not asking God. You're not going to the source. And if you are asking, it's because you're having an affair with the world and breaking the bond between you and God. A lot of people, they take this and say, well, see, you, you asked them this. You, you you didn't ask right. And they make a whole doctrine out of asking God. And, and, and then so it puts people into this bondage, into this fear that they're thinking, oh, I need to say the right words in the right way in the right tone. And and it's got to be perfect. It's got to be beautiful. And that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying, if you're, going to be, if you're going to choose to be friends with God, you can't choose to be friends with the world because the world is against God. So you've got to choose one side or the other. You're going to choose God, you're going to choose the world. You can't have it both. This is clearly what it's saying. And then we get to verse 6 and it says, He gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's such a powerful statement. All of these, the wisdom of James is amazing, amazing, right? So when you see, he opposes the proud. So if you find yourself in pride, God opposes you. That's what it says. Self ambition and image and vanity. God opposes you. Because you're doing all the things of the work. He said, but gives grace to the humble. God says he exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud. So you're either giving God one of the, you're either giving him the job to exalt you because you're humble, and you stay humble, right? Or you're asking him to humble you, and that's not a good place to be. So when we look at this, you have to see exactly what Scripture is saying. So it says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Put yourself under God. Submit. So you're saying, God, you are above me. You are my Lord. And it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you go against what the devil says. You go against what the world says, and you trust and submit yourself to God. And, of course, you're going to flee from me because you can't handle the presence of God. Now, here's the verse. And most people only, only quote the first half of the verse. They never finish the second half of the verse. First half of the verse says, draw near to God, and they put a period. And they say, look, we need to all just come to church, and we need to draw near to God, or his Bible study, or this whatever the case may be. And so this needs a way of focus. We just need to completely just draw near to God, right? But it's not what it's saying. Look what it says. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he's calling them out saying, you're not even believers. You're so focused. On being friends with the world That you become sinners That you become double-minded That you can't Remember what it says in, in The double-minded are tossed like the the waves in the sea They're unstable in all their ways And there's nothing that they can ask of God And he's doubling down on this And he's saying Cleanse your hands you sinners And purify your hearts You double-minded This is how you draw near to God Because once you draw near your near to Jesus, once, once you draw near to God through Jesus Christ, you're fully reconciled. You're not missing anything. There's no lack. You're made perfect. Everything is in Christ Jesus. That's, that's why our focus should be on Christ Jesus and not on the world and not on ourselves or anything else. We need to kill the self, remove it from the equation, and focus completely on Jesus in us so we can fully grow up into him in us. Okay? Now let's continue. It says, Be wretched and mourn, or wrenched, sorry, wrenched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then calls out something else going on in the church. Do not speak evil against anyone, brothers. The one who speaks evil against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and the judges of the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there's only one lawgiver and judge and he is who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor look at this what law is he talking about are you talking about the Old Testament or is he talking about the life the law of Life hmm? well, we don't want God to remember our sins, but we're going to point out everybody else's sins. We expect God and other people to show us and extend to us mercy. but what about everyone else? Are we not supposed to give them grace and mercy and as well? You see how it it kind of takes everything out. Understand when someone's doing wrong, you go to them. There's a whole procedure and protocol that's put in place in the Bible. They refuse to repent when they refuse to say, I was wrong, let me submit myself back under God, let me make this right, let me turn in from the direction that I'm going and go in the direction that's with God. Then they're to be cast out from the assembly of the brethren so that they can repent. You see, there's a whole protocol there. So anyways, verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a, a profit, yet you do not know that tomo- what, tomo- what tomorrow will bring. What is your loss? So you are a myth that, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast is in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Wow. So what are you talking about? Are you talking about tomorrow? Are you talking about today? He's already revealing the heart of the people that he's dealing with, that he's rebuking, that he's coming to and saying, hey, you need to repent, you need to return to God. And so You can't make plans for, for today or tomorrow with any certainty because you don't even know the will of God because you're friends with the world. So looking at it from that perspective, it kind of gives some context and brings some clarity, right? Because you begin to see, oh my gosh, or I begin to see, oh my gosh, look, this is what he's telling them. He's telling them that they were boasting in their own arrogance of taking tomorrow for granted, taking today for granted to do their own lust, to fulfill their own passions and desires instead of trusting God. Look at the theme, look at the context Don't separate it Oh, but I heard a sermon only on this one section Well, look at the context of the chapters And what it's saying as a whole So taking that into consideration Look at chapter 5 Come now, you rich And weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you Your riches have rotted And your garments are moth-eaten Your gold and silver have corroded, and the corrosion will be the evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. So is it's not, he's saying that they've used their wealth for vanity. They've used their wealth for other things and not for the kingdom, right? Go back to what Jesus said. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? treasures there where moths and other things can't deteriorate or destroy. Right? So when you look at this, he's basically saying the opposite of what Jesus said. And he's telling them, look, this is what you've done with what what has been entrusted to you and this is the evidence that is against you. Because you haven't used it for the Lord's purposes, you haven't used it for the kingdom. Use it for your own comfort. Use it for your own passions. Use it for your own desires. What are you calling them out on? It says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, see, he, he's saying, hey, look, you have done this injustice. And this injustice is being made before the Lord, and God is making it known today by defrauding, by frauding, committing fraud against the laborers. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You see what he's calling the mountain? Verse 7, patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord, But above all, brothers, do not swear, neither by heaven or by earth or or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So here he is, he's switching gears again. And he's saying, look, a lot of people, they come to the Lord and they think, man, He can come back. He's promised to come back soon. He's going to come back tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and they say, Well, he's going to come back tomorrow. Then tomorrow comes, well, he's going to come back tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and they begin to lose their steadfastness. They begin to say, Well, sometime, someday, he's going to come back. And then become slothful, and they stopped being diligent in serving the Lord. They stopped being diligent. And in giving, they stop being diligent in all these areas of their lives that God wants them to walk in because they've given up hope in the promise of God. This is what he's dealing with. This is what he's pointing out. Be steadfast. He refers to the prophets who prophesied and didn't see their own prophecies come to fulfillment, but believed and trusted God. And then he says, do not swear by anything. Just let your yes be yes and so you no know be no. Or, right, Or so that you may not fall under condemnation. So if you don't let your yes be yes and you no know be no, then condemnation is surely to ensue and follow you, right? So let's look at the last section here. Starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for them or for him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you're suffering, go to God. let him pray. If cheerful, let him sing pray start praising God because you're cheerful, right? And is anyone among you sick? Man, I was reading this. I've been going over. I've been working on a manual for, for God is Healer and, and redoing it and making it very intense and very um, in-depth and covering many topics and many different things that I did not in the original. And, and, and this is something that was brought up that I covered um, as I was reading through some. To Osborne. It says, Is anyone among you sick So it doesn't say Today is your day And the next person it's not It says anyone All people who are sick Let him call for the elders of the church And let them pray over him Or them Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord It says and the prayer of trust Will save the one who is sick And the Lord will raise them up And he is If he has committed sins He will be forgiven Whoa. That takes it to a whole new level, right? So when we look at this, elders if we go back to Hebrews thirteen, seven and seventeen, and we look at the actual translation it says that we are to imitate the the trust in God that they example and exemplify and that we can see with our eyes and we can, we can see God in them and moving through them. And we should, we should see God in them and imitate that. We should see Jesus in them, the obedience of the word, and imitate that, right? So he's saying these elders are the ones who are doing God's word. And, and it actually just means seniors. Somebody who's been doing it longer. It's not even age, Okay. The example of Timothy and others. and But it says, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Amazing, amazing. And it also says, look at Jesus, Mark chapter 2. He forgave sins, and then they were healed. So they're tied together into something I'm pointing out in the manual. It's going to be good, and you have to check it out once I'm done with it. I don't know what it's going to be because it's very in-depth. Like I'm saying, covering a lot of different topics. It says, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins one to another, right, and pray for one another that you may be helped. So when we actually look at this in Greek, you'll see that what it's saying is, hey, don't hold offenses against each other. He just went on for the last chapter or so, in section saying don't talk bad about each other don't be offended with each other don't don't be attacking each other he says you know what you need to reconcile you need to go back and you need to say you know what i'm sorry i was wrong i won't do this again pray for each other and you, each of you will be healed the prayer of a righteous man has has great power as it is working right and so verse 17 Elijah was a man With a nature like ours And he prayed fervently That it might not rain And the three years later In six months It did not rain on the earth For three years Sorry Not three years later For three years In six months It did not rain on the earth Then he prayed again And heavens Gave rain And the earth bore its fruits. Its fruit. My brothers If anyone among you Wanders from the truth And someone brings him back Let him know that whoever brings him, brings back his sin, and his is wondering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So look at this. He's covering everything he just wrote in this letter. In the last verse, last two verses, he's calling them back to God. He's telling them, he's winning them back to the cause of Christ. And it's just beautiful, beautiful. So let's back up into Elijah, and I've done a whole teaching on this. Elijah never went to God to pray. He declared it from 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 17. He says, he went to King Ahab, and he said, he declared, right, it will not rain on the earth until I say so. He doesn't say until God says so. He says until I say so. Right? And we fast forward to three years and six months, and he's up on the mountain. He's praying for rain, right? but he doesn't say a word. It says that he kneels, he gets on his knees in the opposite direction of the ocean, and he puts his head between his knees and doesn't say a word. And then he lifts his head up, and he asks his servant to check to see if there's any clouds. And he does it several times until they see the the clouds for me. So you see, and I'll leave you with this, that prayer is much bigger than just communing with God. Prayer is also horizontal, not just vertical. It's both. So you can declare something, decree something, not doubting, not wavering, knowing the will of God, And it will come to pass. We can see a great example of this with Lester Sumrall. If you go back and do some history, some research, he would say something, and people knew that God would back it up. So they would repent immediately and turn back to God. We can see this with, with Paul, right? He cursed the sorcerer and went blind until he repented. Once he repented, he got his sight back. So we can see this throughout Scripture, there's precedent for it, for prayer and what it actually is, and we have to cover that more. And in, in next time, we'll talk about prayer and how it's powerful and how to use it correctly. Okay? So I hope this has helped you. I hope this walk with James has opened your eyes. And like I said, as I, as I go through and study it and I, and I continue to look over it, I begin to realize how much it's its more for the church today than any church in history. Because how many churches have turned away, how many fellowships, how many home meetings, how many groups, how many households have turned away from God to be friends with the world, Right? And so we can't just pick on the institutional church, even though we can, right? We have to pick on every single thing, every Bible study, every every home group, every house church or whatever you want to call it, right? It it applies to all believers. It's important that we see the warnings that dating and we we go back to the basics. We go back to what God is saying. And just trust him Humble yourselves Submit yourselves to God And it's that simple Well bless you I hope you enjoyed this time And like I said Next time we'll be discussing prayer Diving into that fully And um, I will also be Making some notes available I will give to Dorothy So she can post on the blog as well In PDF form So you can download those And take notes as you're going through Uh, The thing, and and so we can actually do some searching together, you can see through Bible study um, exactly what I'm saying about Elijah, and we'll even open that up in Scripture and walk you through it, and I'll take you through many other instances where Elijah and Elisha spoke things into existence, and that was considered prayer because they made a, a vow, a wish, and it came to pass. So bless you. Thank you for your time And let me just pray for you very quickly So right now in Jesus name You be healed You be whole You be set free Right now Of any addiction Of any sickness Anything not of God You go completely In the name of Jesus Amen and amen We bless you And we look forward to seeing you next time Good night Thank you Anthony That was very good See you next time. Father bless everybody.